Welcome back to Everyman Academy. I am Professor JT. Class is now in session. Today, we will be discussing Moby Dick, the 1851 novel written by Herman Melville. This story has quite the reputation, considered a masterpiece. The first thing that comes to mind with this book is typically something dry and boring, hard to read. Well, I am here to say it is anything but that. This book is a joy to read. It is pretty long. However, the chapters are easily digested. Something that many people have found challenging about this book, I think, is how it deviates. The narrative, it is set up and then subverts your expectations. The story is rich with symbolism. There's a lot to digest here. And this is going to take some time. I did a lot of notes. I've done some deep research and I hope everyone is comfortable in their chairs because we're going to dive in. America has now arrived. The continuation of the Western canon is seen here. Well, without further ado, let's break into it. This book, originally titled Moby Dick or the Whale... You start turning the pages and the mythos, the mythology of the whale, it starts to unfold. We learn about the etymology of the word, going back to its Greek, Latin, Anglo-Saxon, Danish, Dutch, and Hebrew roots. Turn the pages again and we see extracts. In the extracts, we see quotes where the whale has been referenced throughout humanity. Job, Jonah, Psalms, Isaiah, and the Bible, as well as Plutarch's morals. Onward it goes, King Alfred, King Henry, Hamlet, the Fairy Queen, Paradise Lost, and on it goes, all the way to the 19th century. We haven't even begun to read the book yet, and already we're swept away in this lore, the idea of the whale. The most famous part of this book is the beginning, the first three words, call me Ishmael. The narrator of this story, it's told to us the reader through the eyes of Ishmael. We don't learn a lot about his backstory, but we know what he's going through now. He's searching for something. He talks about how he wants to go out to sea. Right away, we get caught up in this narrative style. Ishmael is feeling a little depressed. He sees going out on a boat into the ocean as kind of an escape. He says whenever there's a damp, drizzly November in his soul, he decides to head out into the ocean to get to the sea as soon as he can, which is a substitute for a pistol and ball. Ugh. Seems like he was contemplating suicide in the beginning of this book, much like Cato throws himself upon his sword right away, we get these references. There's a contemplation and a consideration. We start to imagine the sea as something more. Is it just the beauty of the ocean that draws him there? Well, no. There's something more than that. Talks about the city of Manhattan, where he sees thousands upon thousands of mortal men fixed in ocean reveries, all looking to the water. How is this? Are all the green fields gone? Yes, as everyone knows, meditation and water are wedded forever. From the present day all the way back to antiquity. Now, we also get the natural wonders of the world, including Rockaway Beach, Saco River in New Hampshire. We're getting references to the beauty of American landscape. Ishmael needs to escape the ungraspable phantom of life. 
He is not a land walker. He is a man of the seas. He's transitioned. This is more than work. He gets to escape the land. It's the whaling voyage. Ishmael talks about the fates, referencing Greek and Roman mythology. The fates are cajoling him into a delusion that it was a choice resulting from his own bias, free will, and discriminating judgment. The chapter ends. I love to sail forbidden seas and land on barbarous coasts. Not ignoring what is good, I am quick to perceive a horror and could still be social with it. The whaling voyage was welcome. The great floodgates of the wonder world swung open and in the wild concerts that swayed me to my purpose two and two, there floated into my inmost soul endless processions of the whale and midmost of them all one grand hooded phantom like a snow hill in the air. The grand hooded phantom, Moby Dick, the white whale. He's on his way to seek adventure, and he already references Noah's Ark, two by two, on to the promised land. Life's grand majesty, the story begins. The narrative goes on, and we see now Ishmael has arrived in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Such dreary streets. Blocks of blackness. New Bedford is depicted in gritty detail. The industry of whaling at this time. New Bedford, the city that lit the world. You see, whaling was all about oil. The blubber of the whale contained thousands of pounds of oil. The whale oil was used in lamps. The procurement of the oil, well, people made a fortune off this commodity. Other uses for the whale, including whale bone, was akin to ivory, like from the tusks of an elephant. The fortune is seen here as Ishmael walks down the streets. There's really no other industry here in New Bedford at the time. Gritty men from various parts of the world. The whaling ship was really globalizing the world. Indigenous cultures lived for thousands of years hunting this mysterious beast. Cultures that sailed upon the ocean. Long before towns and cities, human beings created boats and sailed and navigated the open seas, encountering these larger-than-life sea beasts. The whale, there's a very strong cross-cultural connection. You'd never see these foreign cultures, ways, and customs in one place except because of whaling. Whaling brought islanders, seafaring people from far and wide, Canary Islands, Azores, New Zealand even, the Pacific, all here in New Bedford. Ishmael ends up at the Spouter Inn, comes alive in your imagination. You can taste the salt in your mouth and hear the cacophony of noise. Ishmael needs a bed, he needs a place to stay, and everything is all taken up. Every bed is taken, but it turns out, in these days, it wasn't uncommon to actually share beds with strangers, apparently, especially in these type of hostel or hotel situations. So this scene kind of unfolds, and we hear about this cannibal, Queequeg. Well, he can share a room with him. Well, what could possibly be wrong? A cannibal, an islander, a strange custom, and an intimidating man? The comedy starts to unfold here. Ishmael gets to bed a little early before Queequeg comes back into the room. Oh, and then he comes in and Ishmael notices, good heavens, what a sight, such a face. It was of a dark purplish yellow color, here and there stuck over with large blackish looking squares. Yes, it's just as I thought, he's a terrible bedfellow. He's got dreadfully cut and here he is just from the surgeon. There was no hair on his head, none to speak of. Nothing but a small scalp knot twisted up on his forehead. Even as it was, I thought something of slipping out of the window, but it was the second floor back. I am no coward, but 
What to make of this head-peddling purple rascal altogether past my comprehension. Queequeg goes on to produce some type of idol, make a little sacrificial offering to the deity before bed. All these strange antics were accompanied by the still stranger guttural noises from the devotee who seemed to be praying in a sing-song or else singing some pagan psalmody or other, during which his face twitched about in the most unnatural manner. All these queer proceedings increased my uncomfortableness and seeing him now exhibiting symptoms of concluding his business operations and jumped into bed with me. I thought it was high time now or never before the light was put out to break the spell in which I had so long been bound. Right when Queequeg is about to lay down and get comfortable, start smoking some tobacco, he notices Ishmael's there. <laughs> Who the devil you? He said at last. You no speaky. Dammy, I kill e. And so saying, the lighted tomahawk began flourishing about in the dark. Landlord, for God's sake, Peter Coffin, shouted I. Landlord, watch. Coffin, angels, save me. Speaky, tell me who e be, or dammy I kill e. Again growled the cannibal, while his horrid flourishings of the tomahawk scattered the hot tobacco ashes about me, till I thought my linen would get on fire. But thank heaven, at the moment the landlord came into the room, light in hand, and leaping from the bed, I ran up to him. <laughs> Don't be afraid now, said he, grinning again. Stop your grinning, shouted I. And why didn't you tell me that the infernal harpooner was a cannibal? I thought you knew it. Didn't I tell ye? He was peddling heads around town. Here is Ishmael, and he has to share his bed with a cannibal. But what's the fuss? The man's a human being just as I am. Better sleep with a sober cannibal than a drunken Christian. Ooh. Much like Don Quixote, the comedic duo begins. Onwards to chapters three and four, Queequeg and Ishmael toss about the bed. New pals, if you will. These new friends get to know each other. Friendly relations persist, and they have a little sleepover. The next morning, it's breakfast. We continue to take in the whaling culture, the sights and the sounds of New Bedford. Queequeg's off on his own in the morning, and Ishmael begins to wander the street in Chapter 6. We begin to get a feel for the industry of whaling. You must go to New Bedford to see a brilliant wedding. For they say they have reservoirs of oil in every house, and every night recklessly burn the lengths in their spermaceti candles. Spermaceti is the oil that is found in the sperm whale. In summertime, the town is sweet to see, full of fine maples, long avenues of green and gold. And in August, high in air, the beautiful and bountiful horse chestnuts, foreshadowing, and the mood begins to build. We see three plaques, and we learn that whaling is actually very dangerous. You get some adventure. There's also danger, too. Will you go for your quest to truly live life and to discover things? To be thrown aside into death's abyss, barely remembered. A footnote, mourned by who is left at the New Bedford Chapel. Even in the chapel, we can't escape the culture of whaling, and there's references throughout the entire chapel. We even see the pulpit. The preacher is the captain of the ship, and his congregation, his crew, much like God is the captain of this vessel we call Earth. Ishmael is here in a Christian church, but he seems so far to be a devotee of more of an ancient tradition. 
in what eternal, unstirring paralysis and deadly, hopeless trance yet lies antique Adam who died 60 round centuries ago. How it is that we still refuse to be comforted by those who we nevertheless maintain our dwelling in unspeakable bliss. Why all the living so strive to hush the dead? Wherefore but the rumor of a knocking in a tomb will terrify a whole city? Yes, Ishmael, the same fate may be thine. Yes, there is death in the business of wailing. A speechlessly quick, chaotic bundling of a man into eternity, but what then? And therefore, three cheers for Nantucket, for starve my soul. Now, once we get to the pulpit, we really feel the foreshadowing hit an apex. The sermon given is epic, to say the least. I loved every moment in the references. Jonah and the whale. Jonah tries to escape God, eventually thrown overboard and swallowed up by a whale. The great tempest was upon Jonah. The preacher tells us the story in epic detail. It's captivating and prophetic. The story, the whale ship, the journey has not begun yet. And here we are of man versus whale. The preacher says, sin not. But if you do, take heed to repent of it like Jonah. For as sinful as he is, Jonah does not weep and wail for direct deliverance. He feels that his dreadful punishment is just. He leaves all the deliverance to God, contenting himself with this, that spite of all of his pangs and pains, he will still look toward his holy temple. And here, shipmates, is the true and faithful repentance, not clamorous for pardon, but grateful for punishment. God has laid out but one hand upon you. Both his hands press upon me. Jonah teaches to all sinners, and therefore to ye still more to me for i am the greatest sinner than ye this this is that other lesson and woe to the pilot of the living god who slights it woe to him who seeks to pour oil upon the waters when god has brewed them into a gale woe to him whose good name is more to him than goodness yea woe to him who as the great pilot paul has it while preaching to others is himself a castaway he said no more, but slowly waving a benediction, covered his face with his hands, and so remained, kneeling till all the people had departed. Former whaleman turned preacher. He warns about the risks of this world. He says, you must obey God first. How does Ishmael take all of this? The speech was moving and intense. It surely caught my imagination, but Ishmael, not so much. In fact, he is ready to compromise Christian law in order to become friends with Queequeg. Ishmael sat through a Christian church, but he seems to be more of a devotee of the Roman and pagan gods so far. But he does tell us he was a good Christian, born and bred in the bosom of the infallible Presbyterian church. But he wants to be friends with Queequeg. He is his fellow man, and Ishmael says, I must turn idolater. Now, Queequeg is my fellow man. He decides to worship his little deity with him. He says, I must turn idolater. So I kindled the shavings, helped prop up the innocent little idol, offered him burnt biscuit with Queequeg, salamed before him twice or thrice, kissed his nose, and that done, we undressed and went to bed, at peace with our own consciousness and all the world. But we did not go to sleep without some little chat. Wow, they are very close friends. Bosom buddies, I believe. He's heard the warnings from the pulpit, but he decides to turn idolater, and him and his bosom friend, Queequeg, they seem pretty friendly. You know, there's no doubt this is an epic bromance. Thus then, in our heart's honeymoon, lay I and Queequeg, a cozy, loving pair. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
We learn of Queequeg's past. He came from an island, kind of a royal line of cannibals, but he decided he wanted to seek the adventure of a whaling vessel as well. And we're reminded that we can be very ethnocentric in our cultures. What's to differ us from anyone else? Why are customs so normal and everyone else is so strange? We are able to see, even in these times, the humanity across even bizarre, strange cultures, even ones that are cannibals. Queequeg is a friendly individual. We like him. It's almost a cliche at this point, but at this time, there weren't even movies yet. So we have this kind of barbaric cannibal that ends up being a lovable friend. Tattoos and all. Well, one thing leads to the next, and eventually we make it to good old Nantucket, the other major island, the other major location central to this story and whaling. New Bedford seems to be the head of the whaling industry, while as Nantucket, Quakers landed there and they got their start in the whaling industry. You can taste the salt and chowder as you read these chapters, and Ishmael begins to look for passage on a ship so he can have his whaling voyage. Him and Queequeg are kind of coming along as a little pair, and Ishmael find the ship, the Pequod. There's two men. They are kind of old-school people here, Captain Bildad and Captain Peleg. Bible references, and we'll get to that later. They go back and forth, the old good cop, bad cop. They're the people that don't really go on board. They stay at home while the vessel travels around the world and they kind of make their profit. We hear of Captain Ahab. He will be manning this ship. He will be the king of this castle. It's the first mention of this Ahab. He's a queer man, Captain Ahab, so some think, but a good one. He's a grand, ungodly, godlike man. Captain Ahab doesn't speak much, but when he does speak, then you may well listen. Be forewarned, Ahab's above the common. Ahab's been in colleges as well as among the cannibals. Fixed his fiery lance and mightier, stranger foes than whales. His lance, ah, the keenest and surest that. He ain't Captain Bildad, no. He ain't Captain Peleg either. He's Ahab, boy. And Ahab of old, thou knowest, was a crowned king. Another Bible reference. Ahab lost his leg to a whale. He's been a kind of moody, desperate moody. The foreshadowing continues. Not only the epic nature of the whale, this narrative that's about to begin, but this mysterious captain, this knowledgeable king-like man, Ahab. The papers are signed, and Ishmael and Queequeg are gonna join the Pequod. They're gonna go and beyond their whaling voyage. Ishmael's excited, but he's a little nervous, all of this stuff. He hasn't met Ahab yet. There's a mysterious old man named Elijah. Before the ship goes, he said, he's like, well, I don't know about that. He's kind of saying, I think there might be something wrong with Ahab. But once he realizes Ishmael and Queequeg have signed their papers, he kind of backs off. You know, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. Nevertheless, it's a foreboding premonition. Things are astir, the ship gets loaded up We feel like passengers about to set sail. These chapters are written with beautiful description. On Christmas Day, off they go. You can't help but feel like they are ascending into heaven. They are going into an otherworldly spiritual realm. The sea, the loomings, the abyss, the place away from the land, a kind of middle ground between heaven and earth. 
with mythologies of Jonah the whale and Noah's ark. It is time to set sail. Chapter 23 kind of ends the introduction and we get into the main thrust of the novel. Bear thee grimly, demigod, up from the spray of thy ocean perishing straight up, leaps thy hypotheosis. Wow, there's so much to talk about. Ishmael, the Pequod, Queequeg, Ahab, and Wailing. The narrative is so tightly woven, I feel like I'm part of the story. Echoes to Don Quixote and Sancho Panza, the comedic duo. All of a sudden, things start to shift. We get Two books side by side, one documenting the history of whaling, diversions into philosophical implications of the whale's anatomy and physiology, as well as myth, legend, and trade of the whalesman, the ship and its construction, capturing and dismantling of a whale to extract the oil and all its brutality. There's a lot of symbolism here, but I'm going to stick to the facts and break that down later. We're about to really get into the good stuff here. But for now, let's take a little class break. The white whale is on the horizon. Class is now in recess.